We've sung a lot about the love and grace and mercy of God. We've talked about that love and that grace and that mercy, that compassion, as Matt shared around the table, and the blessing that that uh, brings us. As we go through this uh, series of lessons on the Lord's Prayer, looking at Matthew chapter 6, last week and this week are connected. Last week's message on Savior leads to this week's message on mercy. We are reminded of the great saving grace of God, seen in Jesus Christ our Lord, the sacrifice that was made for us. And last week we focused on that, on God as Savior, on Jesus saving us from our sins, and we were reminded that 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 is possible. When we pray that prayer, asking God to forgive us of our sins, we realize that because Jesus died on the cross for us and was raised from the dead, that actually is possible. And so there is an answer to the question, what must I do once we are convicted of our own sinfulness? Again, there is an answer to that question. And that is the response of faith, to believe in that one who died for us and that he lives again and that he's coming back, to turn away from a life that is geared towards sinfulness and change that, repent, and make that a life that's geared towards unselfishness, serving our Lord and serving one another. Uh, We're called to confess that faith so that others will know this is something we feel in our hearts. And then we are called to be baptized, to be buried with Christ through baptism into death so that we can be raised to live a new life, not a perfect life, not a sinless life, but a life that we can live in faithfulness to the one who died for us. That's the message on Savior. Last week's message on Savior leads to this week's message on mercy. Because Jesus has tied those together. So much so that the first one is based on the second one. And as challenging and as difficult as that sounds, that is what Jesus said on a number of occasions, including this statement in the Lord's Prayer. So a couple of things today about mercy. Jesus' teaching on mercy in the Lord's Prayer comes in two parts. It comes in two parts, according to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. The first part is what we looked at last week, forgive us our debts. And we talked about that term in verse 12. That's the term that's used. Later, it's the term for sins. Luke uses a a different term uh, at times. And so... It's forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. That's the first part of Jesus' teaching on mercy, asking God for his mercy towards us. And he answers that prayer with a yes through the blood of Christ. However, he doesn't just leave it at that. Because the second part of Jesus' teaching on mercy in the Lord's Prayer is this, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven our, those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And our first response to that is, yikes, <laughs> ouch. Because it's much easier for us to pray for God's forgiveness of us and our sins than it is for us to offer forgiveness for those who have sinned against us. And yet one of the things that sets Christianity apart from everything else is this point today. It is that our forgiveness is tied to our forgiving others. And that's not just in this section, but as you see from all of the scripture passages on your handout that we'll go through some of in just a moment, they are tied together. And they are tied together by God. They are tied together by Christ himself. They are tied together by God's word. Our shepherd David Hammond in our shepherd's prayer time spoke of that unconditional and everlasting love that God has for us. And then prayed that we would be more like Christ and have that kind of love for others. And one of the hardest things about having that kind of love, I believe, is being able to forgive. To forgive those who have wronged us, to forgive those who have sinned against us. Jesus' teaching on mercy in the Lord's Prayer comes in two parts. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so secondly this morning, this is the only part of the prayer on which Jesus actually commented. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not. As I said at the beginning of this series, uh, we have not heard a lot of sermons and classes, I think, in Churches of Christ on this prayer, on the Lord's Prayer. And we talked about that for various reasons at the beginning of of this study and mentioned that we pray for God's kingdom to come, not the way it came in Acts chapter 2 as the church began but that the kingdom would come in the lives of people, that they would come to know Christ, that those who do know Christ would come to know him better and be closer to him. When those things happen, the kingdom comes today, and we pray for that. And so this is a very appropriate prayer, um, a prayer that Jesus gave us as a model prayer, a prayer that decades after he died, after the church was established, Matthew and Luke included in their gospels to the church. As an example and a model and teaching from the Lord on how to pray. But it's interesting to me that as you read through this prayer, there's only one part of it on which Jesus comments. And it's not the fact that God is our Father. It's not the fact that his name should be hallowed and all of these other things that are very important and vital. It's this one. Being willing not just to receive grace and mercy, but being willing to give it. 
It's this point that Jesus comes back to before he ends this prayer. And so after speaking these words and then talking about what we'll talk about the next couple of weeks, praying that God would lead us not into temptation, I'm looking forward to that lesson and the difference between temptation and sin, and and then praying that he would deliver us from the evil one, that he would uh, help us to find that way out that 1 Corinthians 10 talks about so that we can stand up underneath it. But then he comes back in verses 14 and 15 to this thought. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that's when I want to say, Jesus, couldn't you have left well enough alone? I mean, it was bad enough in verse 12. And now you come back to it and you make it undeniably clear, just in case we didn't quite understand how important that was. (laughs) And he not only says it in the positive, he says it in the negative. That if we do forgive others, God will forgive us. And if we don't, then he will not. That makes it pretty serious, I think. And I want to say today that this is something that is absolutely critical for God. Absolutely critical. That we forgive those who sin against us. And we say, well, but Bill, you don't understand. They treated me so badly. They hurt me so much. I know. And we're going to talk about a few forgiveness myths in just a moment. But if they hadn't sinned against us, then there would be no reason to forgive them. And so by saying, I, I, I find it difficult to forgive because they sinned against me and hurt me, is to state the obvious. If that were not true, there would be no call to forgive. And that's what makes this hard. That's what makes it hard. And we focus in on how much someone has hurt us rather than focusing in on how much we have hurt God and yet he has forgiven us. And it doesn't mean that our sins were not significant to God. They were significant enough for his son to be sent to die on the cross. And it doesn't mean that those who have sinned against us, that how they hurt us is not significant simply because we choose to forgive. For if, you, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matt shared during that communion meditation about uh, the forgiveness of sins and the compassion Uh, that we are called to live by. And interestingly enough, in Matthew 25, it says we will be judged by exactly that. That parable that Jesus tells, that story of of those who saw someone in society who was in need and answered that need. Jesus says, when you did that, you did that for me. And, And for those who will be lost, he says, I was there and you didn't help. And they said, when did we see you? And he says, 
Well, when you didn't help one of these least of these, you were not helping me. And in that story in Matthew 25, that's the deciding factor between sheep and goats, between right and left, between saved and lost. But here in the Lord's Prayer, there's another deciding factor, and that is whether or not you forgive others. In this model prayer and in other teaching of Scripture, that is the deciding factor of how much mercy God will show to us. And it is how much mercy we have chosen to show to others. And it is a choice. It is a choice. It is a deliberate action that takes deliberate effort, and it is not easy. It is not easy, but it is absolutely critical. It wasn't easy for God either. This is not the first time Jesus speaks this message in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, verse 7, in the Beatitudes, remember, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Receive mercy. Who is it that receives mercy? It's the ones who give it. It's the ones who are merciful. In Matthew chapter 18 is this uh, story that Jesus tells, and, and it's interesting how how that story begins and ends. Remember, it's the story about this man who owed a, a huge amount of money, an impossible amount to, to pay back, and, and he was about to be thrown in jail, and he pled for mercy from the man that he owed all this money to, and the man forgave the debt. And then as he's walking out, he finds someone that maybe just owes him a few months of wages, and and he tells him, pay it up, and he won't do it, and so he has him thrown in jail, and he refuses to be merciful. And of course, that's a story that's going to be told, and the man that he owed the money to, the huge amount of money to, impossible to pay back, heard about it and had him thrown back in jail. And it's interesting to me how that story starts and ends. Because in Matthew 18, verse 21, it's Peter beginning that story and calling uh, Jesus to tell it by asking him, how many times do we have to forgive? And Jesus, in answering that question, doesn't answer that question. <laughs> he says, you just, you just keep doing it. And then when he ends that story in Matthew 18, verse 35, it's with these ominous words, as that wicked servant was treated... By that master to whom he owed all that money. Jesus says, that's how my father will treat you if you do not forgive others from your heart. That's a serious, serious statement. And then I want us to read a couple of verses from James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James, the half-brother of the Lord, shares these words in James 2 verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, James saying the same thing that Jesus had said. Judgment without mercy, verse 13, will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. 
And I, I don't think that we get that. I think that we feel somehow or another God's going to forgive us anyway. And let me say, we're not going to do this or any other command of God perfectly. And so, yes, we are going to be treated with mercy and thank the Lord. But it doesn't give us permission to not put out that effort and to not commit ourselves to fulfilling this command. It is commanded to forgive others, not just commanded to forgive others. Our forgiveness, the forgiveness that we want from God is dependent upon that. How could it be any more important? How could Jesus state this any stronger? Mercy without judgment is what James and his half-brother Jesus call us to do and to offer. And how merciful we are will be the key to how merciful God is to us. We're reminded of the second greatest commandment. It's mentioned a few times in Scripture, including Mark chapter 12. Where Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment and the answer is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it and you know what that one is, to love your neighbor as yourself. And you've heard me share this before but I always think back on where those commandments came from. The first and greatest commandment from Deuteronomy 6 and other places. The second one, love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus 19.18. Remember they asked for the greatest commandments in the law and so we understand that both of those, the two greatest commandments according to Jesus are found in the law. That's where they began. And that second great command, to love your neighbor as yourself, yes, it is in the law. (laughs) And it is found in the book of Leviticus of all places, in Leviticus 19.18. But it's not there by itself. There's a context. I think it applies to all contexts, but when it was originally given, it's this context. Do not hold a grudge against one of my people. But rather, love your neighbor as yourself. The second greatest commandment, according to Jesus, given specifically to contrast with not forgiving someone. Because that's the definition of holding a grudge. Refusing to forgive. Other passages are listed there, and I want us to consider a few others. In Matthew chapter 5, there at that great, great chapter that begins with the Beatitudes and ends with this incredible statement that calls us to be perfect, to be complete, to be mature, just as our Father is. It's found in that last part of Matthew 5 that begins in verse 38, which says, Love your enemies. And again, this is one of those things that separates Christianity from all other religions. Just like in the old law, it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. Jesus says, I'm turning that on its ear. I'm telling you to love your enemies and pray for them. And don't pray that they'll get hit by a truck. (laughs) I don't think that's what he's saying. That's kind of what we want. 
Pray that good things will happen to them. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that they will become closer to their creator and be saved. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Why should you do that? Because that's how God has treated you. And that's how he treats this world. That golden rule in Matthew 7, verse 12, also in the Sermon on the Mount, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way you would like to be treated. I don't think there's a single one of us who would say, well, I hope that all the people that I have wronged never forgive me. When Jesus called Matthew, as you know, To be an apostle, he held a party at his house, and being a tax collector, only the reprobates in society would show up along with Jesus' disciples. And the religious leaders of the Jews were close enough to see what was going on, and and they said, why are you cavorting here with sinners? And Jesus quotes from Hosea chapter 6, you need to go read your Bible and remember what it says. I desire mercy not sacrifice. Doesn't mean sacrifice is not called for and important it is. It just means that without mercy, it is judgment without mercy. Jesus lived this before he ever commanded it. In Luke chapter 15, we read that story of the loving father and the prodigal sons. And yes, I said prodigal sons because there were two, as you know. There was one who went to the far country and then came to himself and came back and in humility and penitence threw himself at his father's feet and his father forgave him. And when the older brother came in, he couldn't believe it because he hadn't forgiven him and he certainly didn't want his father to forgive him. And when we refuse to forgive those who sin against us, we're not in there at the party with the brother who came home and the loving father who forgave. We are sitting on the front porch pouting with the older brother as if we had never been forgiven anything ourselves. And then the most incredible statement on forgiveness is seen in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. From the cross, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. As Matt shared, and he's exactly right, it is only God who can forgive people's sins ultimately and judge them eternally and save them or condemn them. So did those people, because Jesus prayed to the Father to forgive them, did they receive forgiveness? That is something that only God can answer and will answer. What it means is that Jesus let that go before he died. He gave all of the ones who had committed such a horrible, horrible injustice and brought such pain and suffering and cruelty physically and emotionally to Jesus Christ, an innocent man, the only innocent person. And what he did was he said, Father, I'm going to let you deal with the ones who have hurt me. And that's what he said 
and that's what he did. A few years ago, I've been here a little over five years, so that means that I can't, because I'm 63, I can't remember what I've said and what I haven't. So I have to, you know, if Terry, if my, if my email and Word docs, if, if I lose all of that stuff, y'all are just going to be hearing the same stuff week after week, because that's the only way I know what I said. But I remember a few years ago, I preached a sermon on forgiveness, and I talked about forgiveness myths. Because I think it's these myths that keep us from forgiving. It's these things that we tend to believe that aren't true that cause us to not want to forgive or at least to not put out the effort. And I won't list all of them, but a few of them, first of all, is it wasn't a big deal. If I forgive them, then that means it wasn't a big deal. That is not true. That's a myth. It was a big deal. You were hurt. You were wronged. And that is just as big a deal as how you have wronged others. And yet God has forgiven you. And so by offering up forgiveness does not mean that it wasn't a big deal, that you weren't hurt. Another myth is that the relationship has to be restored. If I forgive that person, then we have to go on life as if nothing ever happened. That is not true. That is not true. We don't do that in a business arrangement. You can be wronged by somebody and taken advantage of and and actually have suffered extortion from somebody and, and make a conscious decision to forgive them and then make another conscious decision to never go into business with them again. And that's okay. <laughs> you don't go into business with everybody, so it's a conscious choice. It's all right. A woman who has been battered and bruised and beaten up by an abusive husband struggles with this, I think, more than anybody I've ever talked to in my life, and I've talked to several of them. And because they are women of faith, they come to me and they say, doesn't God want me to forgive? Doesn't, am I not supposed to forgive? Because what my abuser is saying is that if I don't go back to him, then I haven't forgiven him, and that is not true. It's not true at all. Those are two different issues. You don't marry everybody. You choose who you're going to marry. You make a conscious choice. And so in that situation, she makes a conscious choice to forgive him and let him and his God work that out. And for her sake, she says, but you won't be working it out with me. We don't necessarily restore relationships simply because we have forgiven. Sometimes, maybe. Sometimes it can be done. Not all the time. And then the last myth I'll share is that God forgives them. And it's something we have mentioned already. Simply because you or I forgive someone does not mean that God does. Doesn't mean that at all. He might. He might not. Guess what? That's up to God. You've heard me say before, and I shared with our college young adult Zoom class the other night, that I've come to believe two things about God. One, that God exists, and two, that I'm not him. And that's a very liberating thing. And so for those who have sinned against me, I don't have to decide if they're going to be saved or lost because of that. All I can do is say, but I'm not going to let you have such a negative impact on me in my life because of what you did to me. I'm going to choose to forgive. 
And what God does with it is up to God. And I'll be okay with that, trust me. And so another scripture to look at. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 31, this great slide that expresses this thought from the Apostle Paul who knew what it was like to be the worst of sinners and knew what it was like to be forgiven. He writes this in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, your forgiving someone else doesn't start with you and it doesn't start with them. It starts with God and what God did in your life. And what he did in your life is he forgave you. And that's where it starts. And so when we start there, then we look out on those who have sinned against us and we're more inclined to, be, to work on forgiving them as well because God in Christ has forgiven us. We're more inclined to live that life of love because God in Christ loved us when we were unlovable. And now he's called us to follow that example. In Romans chapter 12, we are to overcome evil with good. And not try to seek revenge. We want to seek revenge, but instead we turn that loose and we turn it over to God. And again, what Paul is saying there, the fact that you don't pour burning coals on their head in Romans 12, does not mean that God won't. It just means that you've decided to let that choice be his, not yours. You have decided to seek to overcome evil with good rather than with more evil. Unlike the world. And in 1 Peter 2, that great passage where Peter talks about the compassion and the mercy that Jesus had. And how he calls on us to have that same, looking back at his example, he makes this incredible statement in 1 Peter 2, verse 23. When he says this, Jesus was willing to do that was willing to offer those words from the cross, Father, forgive them, because of what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, when he says this, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. What Jesus, the Son of God, did is he entrusted himself and his vindication and the forgiveness of those who were sinning against him, he entrusted those things to the Father, and we are called to do the same. And until we do that, we will never be able to forgive. When Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit, that was everything, including what was happening to him at that moment. We are called to do the same. Well, as we close, four things that happen when we refuse to forgive. What happens when we refuse to forgive? These are not myths. These are the truth. <laughs> These are things that really happen if we choose to, ref- to refuse to forgive. Because again, it's a choice. It's a choice. Maybe it's a hard one for you. I get that. It's harder for some than for others. I get that. But it's still a choice that we are held accountable for. 
And so if you're into being responsible for your own life and your own decisions, you're responsible for this one, whether or not you choose to forgive. Well, what happens when we refuse to forgive? Number one, when we refuse to forgive, we give away our forgiveness. That's kind of what I've been preaching about all morning, isn't it? That's what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. And in all these other passages, when we refuse to forgive, we give away our forgiveness. And that, the list could stop there and we could sing and be done and that would be fine. Because that's so significant. Number two, when we refuse to forgive, we give away our power. Our college young adult group is going to begin studying a book by Amy Morin that we studied a few years back in the adult class on Wednesday night, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. I love that title. And number two on her list is this one. She doesn't word it this way, but refusing to forgive. Mentally strong people don't do that. Why? Because when they do that, they're giving someone else their power. When we refuse to forgive, we give away our power. She quotes Dale Carnegie, who said, When we hate our enemies, we are giving them power over us, power over our sleep, our appetites, our blood pressure, our health, and our happiness. And that may be why Jesus comments on this one and not the others in the Lord's Prayer. Because of how much it affects our physical, emotional, and spiritual health. When we refuse to forgive. Number three, when we refuse to forgive, we are punishing ourselves for someone else's sin. (laughs) When you put it like that, you're thinking, well, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard of doing, to punish yourself for what somebody else did. That's exactly what we do when we refuse to forgive because it doesn't affect them at all. But it eats away at us like nothing else does. And then number four, what happens when we refuse to forgive? When we refuse to forgive, we give away our joy. That great passage in Hebrews where in chapter 12, as he's talking about how Jesus gave his life on the cross, he said, for the joy set before him, he endured these things. Why? Because he refused to let what other people did to him steal his joy. And we can do the same. We can only do it if we're willing to turn it loose and turn it over to God and forgive. But we can do it. And what's more, we're commanded to do it. It's loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's treating others the way we would want to be treated. It's praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. This morning, if we can help you in this part of your walk with Christ or in any other, come as we stand and sing our song together.